Good morning. First Kings, the seventeenth chapter. Once again, we're going to be talking about Elijah this morning. We've talked about Elijah the last couple of Sundays. We got uh, today, and maybe one more at least. We'll talk about Elijah. Uh, like I said before, we haven't hit First Kings eighteen yet, and you just can't leave Elijah until you talk about Mount Carmel, right? So, but today we're going to talk about Zarephath. So the title of the lesson is Elijah tested at Zarephath. And so we have talked about Elijah, the man in his times. And as you recall in that first lesson, we talked about how bold he was, how he went to uh, Samaria, how he made that announcement to King Ahab that there would be no doer reign except at his word, the word of the Lord. And then we talked about the times, and Ahab's on the throne, Jezebel's his wife. These are scary times for those who would support Jehovah because Ahab and, and uh, Jezebel are trying to eliminate uh, Jehovah from the thoughts and the minds of the people and those who would support him they are not timid about wanting to kill them also so that was kind of the the man bold and the times in which he is now living and then the second lesson lesson at the brook Cherith actually that should say up there that God sent him to Cherith but there were certain things that he was going to learn that he's going to be now separated because of his service to God He'll also learn to count on God day by day as God sends the ravens to bring him food in the morning and in the evening, and he can drink from that brook Cherith. But there's not any rain. And so pretty soon, that brook is going to dry up. And so Elijah is going to have to learn that sometimes when you're serving the Lord, things may be taken away from you. But he also learns that when you have nothing and no one except God... God is enough. And so now, after being at the brook Cherith, God is going to send him to Zarephath. And we'll talk about that this morning and the significance of that. And also, this overriding theme that God is doing a work in Elijah, him personally, as he is doing a work through Elijah. God is attempting, through this man, to call a nation back to him. But while he's doing that, He's also developing Elijah as his servant, as his man, as his soldier in fighting this battle against the false god and his prophets. Three points we want to take a look at this morning. Talk about conviction versus opinion. And then we're going to talk about being tested at Zarephath. And then finally, can you take the heat and still give God the credit? So we'll jump right into this. Conviction versus opinion. So whenever we stop and we sort of think about, contemplate Elijah, and I would ask you this question. Do you think Elijah had strong convictions? And I think most of us would say, well, uh, he went to King Ahab. He made that announcement. That's not an easy thing to do. That's kind of a scary thing to do. So God called him. He is a bold kind of character and he sends him. So yeah, I think, I think Elijah had strong convictions. Think about that a moment. If you have strong convictions or opinions, does that ever stir strong feelings in somebody else or other people? Well, as you take a look at the context here and into the next chapter, chapter 18, well, Elijah's position certainly stirred strong feelings as far as Ahab was concerned because when Ahab gets his chance to see him the next time, he says, oh, there you are, you troubler of Israel. <laughs> and so he's got strong feelings about Elijah. But in that same context, there's a man by the name of Obadiah who says that he feared the Lord. He liked Elijah. So have you ever been around any people like that that have strong opinions, strong convictions about something? It might be politics. It might be religion. And if you happen to be on the same side of the aisle as they are on, you might say, oh, I like that person. <laughs> but if you're on the other side of that, you might say, oh, I don't like that person. And so you stop and you think about Elijah, his convictions, his opinions, and it stirs reaction among people. 
And so we have to kind of keep that in mind. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you think God wants us today to have strong convictions? Well, one of the passages that I think about when I think along those lines comes from the book of Revelation. You remember as John was writing to the seven churches of Asia and he addresses in the third chapter the church at Laodicea. Remember that? And he says to them, this is the complaint against them. Because you are neither hot nor cold and you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's what the Lord says to the church at Laodicea. So does he want us to have strong convictions? Yeah, he does. But now I want to back up for just a moment. I ask you the question. Do you think Elijah had strong convictions? Do you think Elijah had strong opinions? Elijah sort of explodes onto the scene in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. That's where we're first introduced to him. He walks in and he makes this announcement. And I have to stop stop and think, why does God call this man? Well, I think that's part of his character. He is kind of that bold and brash individual. And so God is on a mission and he wants to send a message and he calls Elijah, go deliver this message. And Elijah is kind of a bold kind of character. So he marches in and he delivers that message. But once you deliver that message, all kinds of things are going to happen. And the question is now, Elijah, since you have opened your mouth, Can you stay with me? Now, do you have convictions? Or do you have opinions? And when I think about Elijah at first, I sometimes think Elijah might have had strong opinions about how to raise sheep. (laughs) You want to know how to raise sheep? I'll tell you how to raise sheep. (laughs) But what's your convictions? And so God calls him. He's a bold individual. But is that enough? So when you think about Elijah, and you think about him being bold, can you think of anybody from the New Testament (laughs) that was kind of bold and outspoken? Do you remember a fellow by the name of Peter? And whenever the Lord would ask them a question, as a group, the apostles oftentimes together, who was the one that immediately spoke up? It was Peter. And so they're at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And they answer and they say, well, one of the prophets. And And then he said, well, wait a minute. Who do you say that I am? And Peter is the one who answers. You're the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. How does Jesus respond to that? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Listen to that, what he just said. Peter, I don't want that to be your opinion. I want that to be your conviction. And I want you to understand where your convictions come from. Flesh and blood did not teach you that. My Father in heaven is the one who has taught you that. So was Peter kind of a bold individual? Yeah, he was. But do you remember what happened later on? (laughs) Jesus said, tonight, 
before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. What happened to all that boldness? You know what will enable Peter to later be able to stand with the Lord no matter what happens? It will be his conviction. Conviction. There is a difference between conviction and opinion. And what I'm saying is, Elijah, you're going to face some difficult things and you're going to get tested. We'll find out if it's your opinion or if it's your conviction. Opinion. Opinion is a view or a judgment about something not necessarily based on fact or on knowledge. Do you ever notice that the people who have the most opinions or the people who are most opinionated are oftentimes the ones who do the most talking? <laughs> or talk the loudest? <laughs> well, what's your opinion? You want to know my opinion? I'll tell you my opinion. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what it's about. They'll give you their opinion. But this is Conviction. It's the state of mind of a person who is sure that what they say or believe is based in facts and knowledge. Now you got conviction. That's what enables a person to stand when they're tested. So Elijah... His convictions are being shaped and molded by God. Because he's going to face some tests. And you have to find out, is this your conviction? So Elijah is going to be God's soldier in waging war against Baal and against these false prophets. And God has been preparing Elijah. Elijah, trust me. I sent you to Ahab. Now I want you to go to the brook Cherith. You'll learn to trust me one day at a time. Elijah, you'll learn to rely on my providence. Elijah, you'll come to realize that sometimes you've got to stand alone. But Elijah, you'll come to realize also and have the conviction that I, God, if I'm all that you have, that's all you need. So Elijah needs all of those convictions to be a good soldier for the Lord. But any soldier who has ever been to boot camp and after they have gone through training, they know sooner or later what you've been taught you're going to have to apply. Sooner or later you're going to the battlefield. Sooner or later you're going to be tested to see if you apply what you've learned. So Elijah has learned certain things so far. God is developing his convictions. And now he's going to send him to Zarephath to give him some tests. Let's see how you do, Elijah. Let's see how you're progressing. So as we take a look at what takes place here at Zarephath when Elijah goes there, they're going to be what I call four tests and then the final exam. So that's what I want us to take a look at. First, first Kings, the 17th chapter, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. 
Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Here's the first test. The first test is very simply this. Can you follow directions even if you don't understand? Can you follow directions even when you don't understand? And we might look at this and say, well, I don't think that's that hard to understand. He's at the brook Cherith and God wants him to go to Zarephath. It's kind of traveling from east to west and going a little north. So, what's so hard about that? Let's stop and think about that. Here's Elijah. He's kind of a man's man. Kind of bold and courageous. And God chose him, sent him to Ahab in Samaria. He marches in there. He delivers that message. And then he says, I want you to go back to Cherith. You're going to learn some things there. God has been providing for him. Elijah has delivered the message. He has enjoyed the providence of God sending those ravens in the morning, in the evening, drinking from that stream. And now God says, I want you to go to Zarephath and there is a poor widow woman there that's going to take care of you. Hold the phone. What? This is Elijah. <laughs> I think I'm quite capable. No, I want you to go to Zarephath. And there's going to be a poor widow woman taking care of you. Zarephath, what's the significance of that? The significance, one of the significance is this. Zarephath is located in Sidon. Cherith on the east side of the Jordan. I want you to go west. I want you to go north up to the territory of Sidon. Enemy territory. Well, if you're a soldier and you've been to boot camp, you know where you're going to go one of these days? You're going to go to the battlefield. Where is Jezebel from? She is from Sidon. First Kings, the 16th chapter, and about verse 31. He's talking about Ahab. Ahab walked in the sins of his father Jeroboam, and he did even worse, even more evil than all those who had gone before him, in that he married Jezebel, the Sidonian. And now Elijah is being sent to Sidon, to Zarephath. You think you might need a little cover up there? Okay, well you can go and stay with this poor widow woman. And she'll take care of you. Well, Lord, I don't know if I understand that. Elijah, this is the direction. This is where I want you to go. So the question is, can you follow directions even when you don't understand? So I had a fellow tell me one time. He said, you are never going to convince me that baptism has anything to do with my salvation. That me being dunked in water is somehow going to be a part of my salvation. I just don't understand that. Well, is that your opinion? Or is that your conviction? 
Because Jesus the Lord himself said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Peter himself said on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. The Apostle Paul said, Romans the 6th chapter, we are buried with him in the likeness of his death that we might also be raised Walk in this life. I can tell you what Jesus said. <laughs> I can tell you what Peter said. I can tell you what Paul said, and I can tell you what Paul submitted to. Acts the ninth chapter. Is that my opinion? Or is that conviction? It's based upon facts. So you look out of here in the religious world. You see a lot of large, very large religious organizations. Large facilities. Very impressive. And there's church councils and synods and presidents. That's pretty impressive. And I say, well, I don't think we ought to do that. And they say, well, that's just your opinion. I say, no, it isn't. Because I can't find on the pages of God's word any place where he ever organized the universal church. But you know what I can find? I can find where he organized the local church. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said to the saints, with its bishops and deacons, with its overseers and its servants, and that's the only organization that you will ever find on the pages of the New Testament for the Lord's body on a local level. Is that my opinion? Or can I say, no, that's my conviction. See the difference? We follow even when you don't understand. Now we can talk about a whole lot of other things. <laughs> I'm just giving those as a couple of examples. So did Elijah pass the test? Yeah. He left Cherith and he went to Zarephath where a poor widow woman is going to take care of him. But secondly, there's the humble assignment test. So I want to read to you from verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So, this poor woman, poor woman, widow, is going to take care of me. And that might seem kind of humbling to Elijah and the kind of character that he is and the things that he has done so far. And so, will you go, Elijah? And will you allow, like I've instructed you to? Well, Lord, I think it would be better if you sent me and said, you know, go take care of her. But that's not what he said. You go there, she will take care of you. Well, that's kind of humbling, isn't it? But can you do that? So let me ask you. Have you ever had a humble assignment? Something that you clearly thought was a little beneath you? And you had to wrestle with it a little bit in your mind whether or not you're going to do it? I have. <laughs> so I'll share it with you. A number of years ago, a lot of years ago, when I was a member at another congregation and served as a deacon 
But I was also getting involved at that time. Really starting getting involved with teaching and so forth. And I taught young kids classes and taught middle school classes and started high school classes. And I was learning things about the church and things about salvation and things about the organization and things about authority. And I thought I was coming along very nicely. And I thought, surely the elders are starting to recognize this and how involved I'm getting. I know it won't be long. They're going to ask me to do something big. You want to teach the adult class? So it just so happened one Sunday morning, I come walking into the building. One of the elders is standing back there and he says to me, Larry, the elders would like to talk with you after worship this morning. There's something we want to ask you to do. And I thought, this is it. This is it. My time has finally come. So we went back in the office after worship that morning. And they said to me, uh, so we wanted to ask you to do something. I'm like, I'm ready. And then they mentioned this older couple that I knew. And some of you here, if I mentioned their names, you'd know who I was talking about. <laughs> older man and woman, pretty feeble physically and so forth. Living in a small house. And they said... We would like for you to go over there and mow their grass. I'm like, mow the grass? Like, put. <laughs> yeah? I'm like, anything else? <laughs> no, just, just go mow the grass. If you get that done this week, that'd, that'd be good. So I'm like, mow the grass. <laughs> Come on, you know. So I leave. I went and mowed the grass. <laughs> Jesus, John 13, right? The last night that he is with his apostles. They walk into that upper room. There is a basin sitting there. There is a water there. There is a towel there. And you know what they've been arguing about? Who's greatest in the kingdom? There wasn't anybody going to get that water and that towel and go around and wash feet. But Jesus did. And he said, you do not yet understand what I do for you now, but you will. There's a need in the kingdom for service. Jesus had the heart of a servant. In fact, he said in Matthew 23, He who would be greatest among you will be your servant. As human beings, we just kind of wrestle with that, don't we? <laughs> I want the throne, <laughs> but I don't want the water basin. And that's what it is. Elijah? I want you to go to Zarephath, and this poor widow woman is going to take care of you. And he goes. So he passed the test. But listen to verses 10 through 12. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son, that we may eat it and die. You know what this test is? This is the rough start test. I've told a widow woman to take care of you. He goes there and he asks for something to eat and a drink of water. And then she just kind of unloads on him, doesn't she? <laughs> Welcome to Seraphim. Kind of a rough start, isn't it? Wait a minute. 
Is this Zarephath? <laughs> Am I in the right town? Maybe I've got the wrong widow woman. No, this is the right one. Right town, right house. But it's kind of off to a rough start. But when it gets off to a rough start, Elijah, can you stick around? You ever think about that as a Christian? Getting off to a rough start? Serving the Lord? Gets off to a rough start? I used the example a minute ago of like, say, teaching class. Have you ever noticed, I'm not picking on little kids. You ever notice you go in to teach a class and they don't all immediately just sit down and listen? <laughs> and sometimes they don't do their lesson and sometimes they don't want to do it while they're in there. <laughs> so what do you think you got to do? Just give up? Sometimes you might try and start a local group. And is it all going to be easy? No, it ain't going to be easy. Do you know, even becoming a Christian is not easy. You ever read the parable of the sower? And some of that seed, which is the word of God, falls by the wayside. And immediately the birds come and they snatch it up. Why is that? Because Jesus is trying to get them to see Satan doesn't want that word to sink into your heart. He wants you to have, Satan wants you to have a rough start. And so that you might forget that word. And it'll never take root. And then some of that seed falls among stony ground where the soil is thin. And it doesn't get a chance to really go down deep. And so when persecutions arise, a person's difficulties arise, a person will fall away. Or some of that seed falls among the thorns and the cares and the riches of this world choke it out before it really has a chance to bring forth fruit. Some of it falls on good soil. That's not saying soil that doesn't have any of these other issues. It's saying soil where the seed had an opportunity to take root, grow, and bear fruit. And in order to do that, it may go through some challenges. It may even get off to a real rough start. And in serving the Lord, it's not always just going to be smooth. <laughs> what I want to know is can you stay with me? Old saying, right? When the going gets tough, I'm out of here. <laughs> when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Can you stay with me? So Elijah, he stays with. But fourthly, verses 13 and 14. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and for your son." For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Where is he? He's in Zarephath. Where is Zarephath? It's right in the heart of enemy territory. And I'm telling you, it's the Lord of Israel, not Baal, 
that is going to supply for you until he sends rain. Not Baal, he sends it. So what's that saying? The Lord of Israel, not Baal, he's going to provide for you today and he'll provide for you then. He'll provide for your now and he'll provide for your future. You know what test this is? Can you walk by faith and not by sight? He'll provide for you every day. I wonder where in the world Elijah learned that, right? <laughs> He's been to Zarephath, or to Cherith. And what happened? Those ravens brought food in the morning and they brought food in the evening. They didn't bring four or five days supply. They brought it every day. I want you to stop and think about this for just a moment. And he was going to drink from that brook. So as you think about those ravens bringing that food, do you think that was kind of miraculous? Yeah. But when he's drinking from that brook, do you think that's miraculous? No, not so much. But what did Elijah learn while he was at that brook? Remember that? Don't look at the provisions. Look to the provider. Let God decide how he's going to provide. So now he's in Zarephath. And this woman tells him, I've only got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and I got enough for me and my son. I ain't got enough for you. <laughs> and Elijah said, no, you go and you make that for me first and then afterwards for yourself. And this is what the Lord says about it. Until he sends rain. I think that's kind of significant. And we need to think about that. Because sometimes we think about that flower and we think about that oil and we think that's kind of miraculous. We think about those ravens and them bringing that food. That's kind of miraculous. But you know what that is? That's the provider providing. So let's say you got up this morning. You didn't go to the grocery store. But you just go out in the kitchen and there's breakfast. Just waiting for you. Right there at the table. And you eat. And you give thanks for it. And you still don't go to the grocery store. And the next morning you get up and you come out there and there it is again. There's breakfast. And you would say, Lord, what a blessing. Thank you. And if your meals were provided miraculously, what would your prayer sound like? Hmm? But what if He provided for you every day naturally? Would you still give him thanks? Yeah. So as you take a look at this, there's the miraculous, there's the natural. And what has Elijah learned? Don't look at the provisions. Look at the provider. He's the one that provides. He chooses how it's going to be done. And he tells this widow woman, that flour and that oil will not run dry until Jehovah, the Lord says, and he sends rain. And then, you'll be able to get it through natural means. 
But until then, he'll supply. So Elijah walks by faith and not by sight. He's learned that. So now there's one final. Can you take the heat and give God the credit? Verse 17 and 18. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Think Elijah's catching a little heat now? Yeah. I think this is an interesting section. So Elijah comes there and he's told that this widow woman is going to take care of him. But when he gets there, he finds out she's a little short on supplies. And he says, but don't worry about that because God can provide. And so she starts to do what Elijah tells her. Now I want you to think about that. She says at first, I'm going to go in and I'm going to make myself something and my son something and then we're going to eat it and we're just going to die. Elijah's like, no you're not. <laughs> Let me tell you what's going to happen. So then she does that and then the next morning she gets up and does it again. And after that, again. And again, verse 17. Now it happened after these things. What things? The things that Elijah had told her to do, the things that she's been enjoying day by day for several days, however many days that is, we're not told specifically, but there comes a point in time, now her son gets sick and dies. Up until that point in time, what do you think she's thinking? This is pretty nice. (laughs) This man of God has come here. We've got plenty to eat. It's all good. And then my son dies. And now it ain't good. And now she brings the heat. What have I to do with you, old man of God? Where's your God now? He was there while we were eating and while we were living and while we were enjoying all that. Where is he now? That my son has died. Let me read verse 18 again. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to to remembrance and to kill my son? You know what that's saying? Everything was going pretty good. What went wrong? What did I do? Did I do something to deserve this? See, what the problem is, is she has an incomplete view about God and about life. A lot of people have an incomplete view about God and about life. You know why I say that? Because we think a lot about living. We don't want to think so much about dying. But do you know what the writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 and 2? That there is a time for, there is a season for everything. And there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. 
You put those two together and you know what you got? You got life. Both of them are a part of it. It was going good. We were eating every day. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) But now my son dies. Now what have I got to do with you? Everything. You don't realize how much I've got to do with you now. I'm going to tell you something real quick. And this has kind of become popular within the last, I'd say, decade, two decades. Have you attended a funeral lately? There's something that has become kind of popular and it's referred to as a celebration of life. I think 100% we ought to celebrate life. God has given it to us. We ought to celebrate it. We ought to be thankful for it. But the sad part about that is oftentimes funerals become a celebration of life and that's all people want to talk about. There's another part. And that's death. And that's where the Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is commanded unto man to die once. After this comes the judgment. So God has told us way ahead of time. This is life. A time to be born and a time to die. It comes together. It's a package. And sometimes we enjoy the blessings of life and want to ignore and not be prepared for what comes after. That's where she is. Verse 19. And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where she was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray Let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. So she responds to Elijah. She brings the heat. And Elijah says, give me your son. And so he takes him, spreads himself out upon him, prays to the Lord, and his life is restored. Verse 23 through 24. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room and into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Now watch. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, the word of Jehovah, Remember Elijah's name? It means Jehovah is my God. You remember what territory she is living in? Sidon. It's the heart of Baal worship. And now she says, I know by this that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Is that her opinion? Or is that her conviction? Now that's her conviction. Because she's experienced it. And you want to know what she experienced? 
that Jehovah can touch your life and He can reach beyond this life and He can reach you in death. And that's not opinion. That's conviction. You are a man of God and the word of the Lord is the truth. That's the conviction. So God took Elijah, the man he had been trained, and he sent him right into the heart of enemy territory to this poor widow woman and converted her. And so shortly we'll go to 1 Kings 18 and Jehovah will bring the rain. And when that rain comes, what do you think this woman is going to say about it? Oh, it must have been Baal. Oh, no, it wasn't. That's not my opinion. My conviction is this is Jehovah. So Elijah went there under God's instruction following his training and he went through some tests and then he took the final exam. Can you take the heat? And God get the glory. Now do you see why he had to pass the humble test first? It's not about us. It's about him. Can you take the heat and give God the glory? See, Elijah was a bold guy. But God wanted to take that boldness, that character, and mold it, shape it, and form his convictions so that he could become a real instrument in God's hand and wage spiritual warfare. It's the same thing for us today. So that's Elijah at Zarephath. I guess that's all I have to say about that. So I'm going to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. You've read rendered obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus himself who said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That doesn't have to be your opinion. That can be your conviction based upon God's word. If you're a child of God and need to make your life right in any way, we can help you. Let us know while together we stand, while we sing.